Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Thank you, Nikki. A man once wrote a book, and it was called this. I met a man with a shining face. And it's the story of a young preacher who uh, was somewhat proud of himself. Michael Eaton tells the story. And on one occasion, he was on a platform with a lot of other preachers, and he's feeling pretty good about himself as he's uh, hanging with all these amazing preachers. And as he looks around the platform, he sees one of these preachers. But as he looked around, it, it seems like there was just one of these preachers who he describes as his face was shining. This old man turned to him and said, young man, do you know what it is to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire? The young man replied and said this, I don't know that I do, but if it is what makes your face shine, I want it. The little booklet that this man wrote uh, called uh, uh, I Met a Man with a Shining Face goes on to describe how when this moment happened, he found himself coming into an experience of God that he had never known before. And today, as we sort of land our This Is Us series, we look at this final part. We've looked at uh, formation. We've looked at mission. We've looked at community. We've looked at the gospel. And today, we look at the presence of God. We look at something that for centuries, in fact for 2,000 years and even longer, has had the ability to cause one's face to shine. This man had an experience where he saw someone's face that was shining. This passage of scripture that we just read, John chapter 30, uh, uh, 737, talks about a moment, a, an experience for humanity, Jesus says, where people will encounter God, there will be an experience of the, you say yes to being a person who not only believes that God is present, but that God wants to presence himself with you, that he wants to especially give you his spirit. Some people call it the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the infilling of the Holy Spirit, that God would be so kind as to pour out his spirit on you. Many people in this room will be able to attest to the fact that over the years, maybe in some moments more than others, they have experienced the overwhelming and real sense of God's presence. Others, maybe you've believed in Jesus for some time and you, you still look a little skeptically at me and your eyes squonk a little and you go... I don't know if I know what you're talking about. I'm, I'm still uncertain about this thing you talk about called the presence of God or the infilling of the Holy Spirit. For some of us, maybe you're uh, new to the whole thing of church and faith. And, and maybe uh, for many, you go, you know what, the, 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 the concept of God, the gospel, great. But our sort of Western minds, which are taught to be very rational and linear, we find ourselves looking going, you know what, the whole thing about the gospel, God loves us, dies on the cross, cool, you know, for our sins. But the, the presence of God, I can't see it. I, I can't feel it. I, I don't know if I can trust this thing. Let me put something in back in your court if you're still a little skeptical. If you're happy to believe the gospel, 
then I want to suggest maybe you should be happy to believe in the presence of God. The gospel is, is a fairly uh, out there concept, right? You've got God who created the world, who chooses by his own will to be born into the world of a virgin. Wow, okay, you've already stretched your rational mind beyond what's explainable. He then lives in society and amazingly does the life that no one else can live. Jesus Christ is the only sinless one. His, his motives, his life, his love, his joy are of such a pure kind that the scriptures can say he was without sin. Wow, we're in the zone of the miraculous. He then goes to the cross. He gets put on a cross for saying that he is the very son of God. He's the one who's come. He's been sent of God. People go, that can't be. He's a heretic. They send him on the cross. Astoundingly, three days later, he rises from the dead, and his resurrected self says, this is the beginning of a new world that I'm creating, and anyone who wants to can be part of it. This is amazing stuff. You're in the realm of the miraculous. You're, if you're going to believe the gospel, then I want to suggest that today I'm going to call you to follow through. Like a good batsman, I've been watching a bit of cricket lately. Don't just block, follow through. Finish out on this beautiful theology of the gospel that says when Jesus rose again, he also said he's going to give us his spirit. He's going to call us to be a people who know and understand and enjoy his presence. So to do that, I want to take us back to get us forward. You see, in the very beginning of Scripture, we've got the concept of God's presence right there. In fact, the word for God's presence or God's spirit is this beautiful word, ruach. Now, you're going to have to say that. You might even need to pull your mask a bit away from your mouth. Look at the person next to you and say, ruach. Clear that throat nicely. The English folk are struggling. Do it one more time. Ruach. It's the word that the scriptures use to describe the, the, the person of the Holy Spirit. It's actually the word that's used for breath. Take a breath in and breathe it out. It's the, it's the breath of God. It's that which gives life. It's that which uh, gives energy. It's that which sustains. It produces life. The, the scriptures talk about God in creation. He breathed creation into being. His ruach, he breathed creation. He is the God who breathes life into creation by his breath. So, and not only that, he breathed onto Adam and Eve, these prototype first human beings that this, the, 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 the book of Genesis depicts as the, the first humanity. And that uses it to describe the God that breathed life into them. And of course, they're living in this amazing creative world. And because God has breathed life and they have not rebelled and turned their backs, they are participating in creative life. They're naming the animals. They're participating in, in taking the order of, uh, the, the, the sort of disorder of the world and, and making beautiful things. They are participating in God's life until they turn their backs on God. I think of Genesis 1.27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. And then it says this, amazingly, look at this next slide. And God blessed them, and God said to them. Isn't that amazing? God speaks to the first humans. He's so present that he speaks. Now, if you've been reading the Bible for a long time, you're like, Rog, there are a zillion passages that said, and God said. But take a moment and think about it. God spoke. 
God spoke to Adam and Eve. He spoke to the prototype first humans, and he began a story of humanity realizing that he is a God who wants to interact. He wants to be present. He wants to be with his people. You carry on, and of course, you get this tragic story where these human beings, Adam and Eve, they turn their back on God. They turn towards themselves. They say, did he really say that, that you know, we should trust him? Why don't we rather do our own thing? And like all of us have turned into our own shadow, become more excited about what we can do than who God is and what he can do. And the story has been a tragic one of self-centeredness and harm towards ourselves and others. But God doesn't stop there. This beautiful story of wanting to breathe his ruach, his creative life into people just carries on. It starts with Abraham where he does this amazing moment where he looks at Abraham, this this guy, and he says, Abraham, the Lord said to him, leave your country, your people, go to a land I will show you and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. He's a God who speaks. And he starts this journey of being present with his people and speaking. Goes from Abraham, and I'm just doing a very fast skim through the scriptures, but God is beginning to build a story of history where he is going, I want to be with them. I want to be present to them. He's building and building. Next, we get to someone like Moses where uh, Abraham has built this huge family. His family, he had 12, uh, eventually these, these 12 great grandsons who uh, have lots and lots of kids. They get stuck in Egypt. They become slaves in Egypt. Moses hears a word from God. He's out tending his sheep and, and he sees a fire in the desert and he goes to the fire and the fire's not burning up the bush. And out of this fire comes a voice that says, Moses. And God speaks to Moses. And he he speaks to him amazingly. And the journey of Moses is one where he comes and he takes the people of Israel out of Egypt and slavery and into the promised land where God can be their God. He says it like this. And God said in Exodus 6 verse 7, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God. You see this jealousy of God to, to make a people for himself. He wants to be present in the middle. How's this for a a, a radical one? Get this. Exodus 33, verse 11, describing the life of Moses. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. We're building. The story of God is building. And there's there's a tension going, how can Moses do that? Could could that be possible for more than just Moses one day? And and then you pick up and the story goes. And and Moses takes eventually the people to the edge of the promised land. They eventually get in through Joshua into the promised land. And the kings begin to become uh, prominent. And who's the most famous king of all? King David, who becomes another prototype king, who essentially the people of Israel look back for centuries and go, we long for the days where David, the great king, who had such a sweet friendship with God, could could once again show himself to us. And David wrote so many of the Psalms and described the kind of relationship with God that every human being wishes they could have. I think of Psalm 3 where it says, I cried aloud to the Lord. This is David. He gets God and God gets him. And it says, and he answered me. (laughs) I lay down and I slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. There's this amazing sense that this David character, this king of Israel, was also a man after God's own heart. He knew God and God knew him. But the kings of Israel were not what they were meant to be. And the people of Israel continued on this path away from the voice and the leadership of God. And they kept saying, no, our way, not your way, God. To ultimately the point where God says, you're going to get what you ask for. 
You keep choosing to go your way and not my way, you're going to eventually be taken by others. Ultimately, the, the, the powers of Babylon come and they literally rip the people of Israel out. They take them to Babylon and these people just feel like a shell of the nation they once were. It's a tragic experience. It's a totally tragic experience. But you see these prophets, even throughout this time, most notably we'll pick up a, prof a prophecy from uh, Isaiah. Isaiah was the, was the prophet of this time in exile where he would offer Israel to have brought the kingdom of God. We're in Babylon. We're not in Israel. We're not the people of God. We're meant to have brought the kingdom of God and the life of God to the world. And here we are stuck in Babylon, far away from home, with no impact on the world and none of those prophetic things that were told of us ever happening. One of the prophets was Joel, who made this prophet, who shared this. He said, And afterward, a time is coming. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions, even on my servants, both men and women. I will pour out my spirit in those days. They're in Babylon. They're going, That sounds incredible. But when? They feel like they've, they've sort of got out of Egypt and they eventually get into the land, but they just felt like a, a, a nation that were a, a nation of false starters. As they started to get settled, something would go wrong. Something wouldn't work out. And they just never quite settled to become who God had called them to be. And then in come Jesus. In come Jesus. After almost 400 years of not hearing a prophetic word, and John describes it like this. He says it like this. He says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. Suddenly, out of nowhere, breaks into human history, the God who created it all, the Word becomes flesh, and two amazing things happen in that moment. Humanity sees what it's like when God comes on the earth, and secondly, humanity learns what it's like to relate intimately to God. Jesus is the ultimate prototype. He is the perfect human being who says, you want to know what it's like to really live in the presence of God? Follow me. And he walks in perfect and beautiful intimacy with the Father. He describes his Father as Abba, Father, and he teaches us what it's like. And one day there is this feast happening in John chapter 7, as Nick's read, and there's this feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. It was to celebrate the end of the harvest, and it was also a feast to celebrate God's helping the people through their wanderings in the desert. Remember, Moses takes them out of Egypt, but they wander through the desert for 40 years. Some astounding things happen in the desert. They, they, uh, Moses smashes a rock, and out of it comes water. Uh, in the desert, they have manna that falls down from heaven that provides food for them. In the desert, it's where there is a pillar of fire by night and a cloud by day that guides them on where they should go. If the cloud goes, they go. If the cloud stays, they stay. This is an amazing kind of experience for these people. And they, every year, would have this festival called the Festival of Booths, where they would set up a, a kind of tent outside their house. Imagine you get into your garden, and they get palm leaves and all sorts, and they live outside in the booth for a couple of nights. Because they remember what it was like to be the, the people in the desert, the people who wandered, the people who had no home. The problem with this experience was that, in part, they were still going, we don't have a home. They would have felt this frustration of going, we celebrate our desert wanderings, but we still feel like we're in a desert. Yes, it's not Babylon, but now it's Rome. 
Now Rome are over, uh, over us, and it's like a kind of apartheid regime where the Jewish people are simply slaves in a Roman empire who are being used and extorted for every purpose besides to worship and, and show the kingdom of God to the world. They are feeling squashed. And so they're, they're celebrating this festival of booths, but actually this festival of tabernacles is not half of what they hoped it would be. There's a longing inside of them. And at the last and the greatest day of this festival, get this, Jesus stands and says in a loud voice, he goes all the way to Isaiah 55, and I'll read it to you just now, and he says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. He's going back to the moment where Moses struck the rock, and out of the rock came streams of water for the people. And he's going, you know what? You're celebrating the festival of wandering and God's provision. Look here. Come to me. Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Isaiah 55 is what Jesus is quoting here, which says this. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. These were prophecies they got when they were in the middle of Babylon. How, where is the water going to come from? And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Jesus is being incredibly audacious. If he had a mark, he would have said it, and he would have dropped it. And he would have walked off the stage and said, Ta-da, he's arrived. Those streams of living water that you've been waiting for, here I am. This was a massive moment in redemptive history. This was a huge moment in Jewish history, and half the people looked and went, huh? What? The other half, in the time to come, experienced streams of living water that flowed to them. Jesus did so much teaching on this, we could go through and spend days and years. In John chapter 14, it says, I will ask the Father, this is Jesus speaking, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth, the ruach of truth. The world can't accept him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you know him for he lives with you. How's that? He says the world can't accept him because it can't see him. This, this word ruach was the same word they'd use for wind. You can't see where the wind is coming from, but this, this power will come, and it's going to make sense. It's going to guide you into all truth. I'm going to make sense of the world in which you live. Jesus says he's coming. When I am glorified, the Spirit will come, and it will turn everything into sense. And amazingly, we know Jesus lives the life we should have lived. He goes and dies a gruesome death on a cross. Three days later, he rises from death, and he gets to his disciples, and he says, wait. There's a time coming. Wait in Jerusalem, and you will receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses. And you've got this incredible moment in Acts chapter 2 where suddenly the ruach of all that has been anticipated for so many centuries breaks into this tiny little room in Jerusalem. It says it like this in Acts chapter 2. Suddenly, this group of people who are waiting, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit. This was a moment where all the threads of anticipation of these people were suddenly coming together. 
The, 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 the fire is this descriptor of all the different moments in the Old Testament where fire came down. This is the, the fire of God's voice that spoke to Moses in the burning bush. This is the fire of God's superiority that, that came down uh, on Elijah's offering when the, the prophets of Baal were going, come, we've got the true God, and the true God comes down on this water-covered altar because the true God is Elijah's God. This is the fire that led the people of God and can lead us as people through the desert and through the difficult times. It is the fire of God's love to, to cause us to be secure in his amazing love. This is what was promised by the prophet Joel. And that's exactly what Peter preaches. One of my favorite parts. I think my favorite characters in the scriptures has to be Peter. I think if you could say besides Jesus, because that's the obvious answer, who would you like to meet? If you could have a meal with one person, I'd say Peter hands down. Because Peter is a fascinating character. Peter, 40 odd days ago, is asked by a little servant girl. Jesus is heading towards the cross. He's getting uh, beaten, and they know he is, he's heading towards crucifixion. And a little servant girl comes up to him in a dark corner, Literally, I don't think anyone else could hear and says, you were with Jesus, weren't you? You know that man. And a brave, courageous fisherman who's been through storms and had hooks in his fingers and he's probably pulled them out and he's, he's saved all kinds of things and he's been through radical adventures, looks at a little servant girl and says, I don't know him. He's so terrified of his reputation. I don't know who that man is. And he went away and he wept. He wept. Forty days later, he's still hiding. The beginning before this passage, it says they were hiding in the upper room for fear of the Jews. And then, amazingly, this moment happens. The power of God comes on Peter and yes, he'd seen the resurrected Jesus already, because a lot of people say, you know where you get your strength from is when you're convinced that without doubt, you rationally believe that Jesus has risen from the dead. Well, Peter had seen the risen Jesus, and he was still hiding, terrified, up in an upper room, until the power of God, these symbolic fire tongues come upon him. We don't know what it looked like. Was it physical? Was it figurative? I've got no idea. What I do know is that power came to Peter. And suddenly the guy who wouldn't say to a servant girl, yes, I know him, stands up outside a group of people who are wondering what's going on. And he says, nope, we're not drunk, as you might think. As Jesus followers, we know we've got an interesting reputation. We're not drunk. This is what was prophesied by the, the prophet Joel, that God would pour out his spirit on all flesh, on young and old, on maid servants and the like. Everyone would know the presence and the power of God. And suddenly a new courage comes into a cowardly man. You can't explain it except that Peter experiences God's spirit. His ruach comes freshly into him. My hope, my prayer for us as a community is that we are a people who are increasingly aware that God, by his spirit, wants to keep filling us up. What happens when God gives us this power, this, this infilling? Well, here's a few things that we pick up in the scriptures that, that, that happens when God baptizes us in his spirit. Firstly, we get this unsurpassed awe. 
You look in the book of Acts, and the first thing that they say is, the people were filled with awe. It's an amazing and important thing that happens to a follower of Jesus, is what happens before you follow Jesus is you're amazed by so much, your career, your cash, your companions, whatever else you can get, and you're just like, wow, that is cool. I can do a lot in creation until you meet the creator, and he pours out a spirit, and you are filled with awe. And your face starts to shine because you've seen something you had never seen before. That's what it means to be baptized, to be filled with the Spirit. You've suddenly seen something more precious than you knew was possible to be seen. Not just unsurpassed awe, but an everlasting assurance of our identity. I don't care how strong and tough and brave you are. You and I are human. And something deep inside of who we are just wants to know that we're loved. We just want to know in the depths of our souls, there is someone who is strong and brave who thinks you have what it takes and he's mad about you. Add that to the fact that the creator of the the world is a father and he wants to come and to affirm you. The Romans chapter 5 says, the Spirit of God comes and He sheds His love abroad in your hearts. I've watched this so many times where you pray for somebody to be filled with the Spirit and a person who used to walk around wondering what people were going to think of them and wouldn't say anything and was too timid to actually contribute in a group more than one person, suddenly begins to speak, suddenly begins to enjoy the freedom of self-forgetfulness. Because somehow in that deep layer, underneath the surface, something deep has happened that goes, I'm loved. And their opinion matters a lot less than it used to. Because I'm a son, I'm a daughter, I'm, I'm cared for, I'm affirmed, I've got an identity that says, who cares, I'm not a victim anymore. Hey, maybe today, just as I'm preaching, God's calling you out of victimhood. Just gently, as I'm listening, I just feel like God's saying, maybe you've primarily identified as If I just got this deal, if this had just come through, if that relationship had worked out, then everything would be better. And God would say to you today, I have an identity, I have a love, I have a presence that would call you out of your victimhood. You're not a victim, not in the love of Jesus, no. There's an everlasting assurance, there's an unheard of power and confidence that comes our way. Need I say more, Peter experienced an amazing confidence. I myself personally would say that that would be my testimony of being filled with the Spirit, was that for many years, even after finding Jesus, uh, I found myself going, I know what I'm called to, but I can't do it, Lord. I know you want me to preach the gospel, but I am terrified. I was that guy who lay up at night till tooth shaking as I walk up to the front with the little piece of paper going, metamorphic rock is... (laughs) And would shake, terrified, until the help of the Holy Spirit comes and he says, you're made for something so much more. This is not about you. And you're filled with awe and you're filled with a new confidence to be able to love people beyond yourself. The next thing is a Moses-style kind of friendship with God. When the Spirit of God comes, there's something like Moses' uh, intimacy with God that gets given to you. That's the point of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit is that it wouldn't be select moments that happen in the Old Testament. You know, just the lucky Moses, the lucky David, the lucky Elijah who gets a little bit of the presence. Suddenly in the New Covenant, Jesus says he would pour out his Spirit on all flesh, anyone who wants it. You don't look at Moses and go, wow, that's the real deal. You look at Jesus and you go, I'm in him. 
Remember what Terry said? We are hidden in the son whom he loves. If you want to enjoy closeness with God, all you need to do is come to Jesus. You are hidden in the son whom he loves. Your access to God is based on Jesus' perfection and his performance. You come in with confidence and you say, God, I am yours and I want to know you. There's no limit to what you could do and how well you could know God. Andrew Murray said it like this, May not a single moment of my life be spent outside the light, love, and joy of God's presence. And not a moment without entire surrender of myself as a vessel for him to fill, full of his spirit and his love. Hey, and also you could experience as you get to know God's presence more and more, his spirit, the gifts of the spirit beginning to flow through you. If you've got such access to the giver of the gifts, I would expect that more and more you begin to see the future through the eyes of God. You begin to understand what the gift of prophecy could start to look like. Hey, why not? Why not? Now you might go, isn't there a bit of like this category thing? Now you go, so if, can I believe in Jesus, put my faith in him, but not be full of the spirit? Well, that answer is yes and no. Let me try to explain it to you like this. When, when we put our faith in Jesus, the Bible is pretty clear that God's Spirit comes to dwell in us. He lives in us. We can't be made new unless the Spirit of God comes to live inside of you. You have the Spirit of God. The moment you say, yes, Lord, not my will, your will. Jesus, you did what I could never do. I trust my life. I receive your forgiveness, and I begin to walk with you. You are made new from the inside. That's a beautiful gift that's given to you. You can have it today, by the way. All you need to do is say, yes, Jesus, I'm yours. I trust you. Forgive me for turning my back on you all the time. But then the Bible does seem to have an interesting teaching that says this, that sometimes you can experience the infilling of the Spirit after you've put your faith in Jesus. It, there can be a kind of lag time. There can be a sense that it could take a few days, months, years. And not only that, you could experience God's filling ongoingly over the years that you follow Jesus. Uh, there's so many examples of this. I could spend a lot of time uh, teaching you on this, but I, I think of Acts chapter 18, probably a good example, or Acts chapter 19 as well. When Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road uh, through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. Here, listen to this. He found some disciples and asked them, did you re receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? By implication, he's asking this question. He's kind of going, imagine I went to you and said, did you go to Paris when you went to France? You could say, uh, no, actually, I didn't. I went down to Lyon, and then I popped over, and we went straight to Switzerland. You can go to France without going to Paris, right? Paul is saying, did you get filled with the Holy Spirit when you believed in Jesus? The answer can be, no, actually. I just believe, but I, but I don't know if I've known that, that outpoured Holy Spirit. It's possible, says the Scriptures. There are multiple other examples of this. In fact, Paul, the great apostle himself, he believes in Jesus. He's then led for a while, and then a couple of days later, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And it seems like maybe in that little lag time between then Maybe his face wasn't shining quite like it did after he was filled with the Spirit. This is not to have some sort of teaching of haves and have-nots. Let me tell you, you put your faith in Jesus, you have everything available to you. But the Bible does say we should be asking, longing, seeking for an infilling, an outpouring of the Spirit. Luke, Jesus teaches it like this in chapter 11, verse 11. Which of you fathers, if, you, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. 
Jesus is getting pretty clear in his teachings. If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So what do we do? Well, firstly, we just trust God. This isn't primarily about us. God can pour out his Spirit any way he likes. In Acts chapter 10, Cornelius is sitting in a meeting, and he just has the Spirit of God poured out on him. Hey, in the last couple of weeks, by the way, we've had people in worship, and they've just felt the Spirit of God poured out, just tears drizzling down their faces. They go, God is present. I'm so aware of his Spirit, his nearness. I don't know what to do but to say God is here. That happens in this very auditorium week after week. It happens. Sometimes you don't get to choose. It happens to us. God pours out a spirit. Sometimes we just pray and say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? That, that, that can happen. Sometimes we see uh, there are times where people need to pray for us. You see that in the example in Acts chapter 19. Paul carries on and he prays for them. He lays his hands on them. Uh, Peter and John do the same in Acts chapter 10. They go to a place and they lay their hands and they pray for a group of people. So trust God. Uh, one of the things about asking God for the infilling of the Spirit is that you're not in control. I know it's, it's, it's the hardest thing for our generation to be out of control. But actually, if you, put your, you get a little more rational, you realize you're not in control anyway. You never were. Why not let the kind, gentle Father in heaven who loves you pour out a spirit on you? You'll be in, in a much safer hand than in your own hands. Hey, when I'm low and, and in struggling times and I, I feel like I've been grasping for control, I'm trying to micromanage my kids and I'm trying to micromanage Nick's and I'm trying to get everything to work my way, and suddenly I go, oh, I'm not in control. It's usually a great time to go, oh, Holy Spirit, come, fill me. I've just realized I'm not in control and you are. And it can be a key moment in your life and walk with Jesus. Hey, then learn to receive the Spirit. Learn to ask God for His Holy Spirit. Let people pray for you. Sometimes you're feeling so down and low and you've had your prayers and you're going, nothing else is happening. I need intimacy with God. Call on some people. In fact, today we're going to have a bunch of people ready to pray with you. Maybe you're going, I need a fresh infilling of the Spirit. We want to pray with you because the Scriptures teach it to just pray with people and to ask, people, uh, ask God to fill us freshly with His Spirit. And I would encourage you to stay hungry. Just finally stay hungry. Psalm 42, as the deer pants for streams of living water, so my soul longs for you. We're a people who, who we're satisfied. We're content in what God gives us, but we're also always saying, God, I, I want to know more of you. It's a, it's a holy discontent. It's a, it's a righteous sense of I need more, but I haven't got it all. I need to give Tash just quite a lot of warning to get him up here. So T, you can start walking your way up here. Over the last three months, we've done a few teachings like this, and it's been such a privilege to be able to just watch God slowly cause faces to shine. I don't know where the rest of the band are, but I mean all of you. <laughs> I don't know where you're at, and it's not really the point. The point is, is that we're made for God. We're made to live in intimacy with Him, and the Bible isn't a isn't a sort of science handbook. It doesn't tell you exactly how it works. It, it's, it's a story of a God who is a father who, who cares deeply, who, who, who wants to give us what we need when we need it. And so 
This morning, I just want to ask you not to go, but when and how and, and what's meant to happen. I want to encourage you to, to, to put your scientific brain aside and, and put your artistic life before God. We're all artists when it comes to parts of life. We, we, we plan like scientists, but we need to live like artists. That makes sense? Sometimes you, you, you want to be in control of everything, but it comes to the point, it doesn't matter what sport, what career, whatever, there's times you need to trust, you need to go with it. I want to suggest that the teachings of Scripture say God loves to pour out His Spirit. He wants to be close to us. He wants to be in us and with us and walk with us. I wonder if this morning you would just avail yourself to him. We're going to pray a prayer that was first coined in uh, 200 AD. Uh, it was written as a song, and then, and then a Benedictine monk, I don't, know, I don't know if anyone knows his name, wrote a, a, an official song in 800. And one of the lines that has been famed is this line, Come, Holy Spirit, Creator, come. It's not because he's not, he's, he's, he's kind of standoffish, waiting, He's hungry to be with you. He's just, he's just letting you invite by faith and just say, come. Holy Spirit loves to be with us. Maybe as, you're, as we're singing, the Spirit just freshens your heart. Maybe as you pray that prayer, you sense the ruach of God, the creative life of God. Maybe you still go, oh, nothing, man. Hey, we'd love to pray with you because the Scriptures teach us to pray and to just trust God's Ruach, his life-giving wind to blow over you. Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we thank you that this is your story. We thank you that this is not limited to an auditorium on a Sunday. You pour out your spirit because you love people. God, tomorrow morning on our way to work could be the moment you've assigned for us to freshly experience you. God, as we walk through those gates, might be the time. God, in many ways, it's not about a time. It's about you with us, you in us, our awareness of your presence. And so I just pray this morning that you would help us to be freshly aware of your presence. And together with this amazing group of people, we pray this prayer. And maybe you want to pray it in your own words. We want to pray it under your breath and simply say this. Come, Holy Spirit, create. Come. Let your ruach blow freshly. Identity, assurance, confidence, courage. It comes not from anything but heaven. Let's just enjoy God's presence. The beauty of the Spirit is He helps us to enjoy Him. As we sing, enjoy God. We're not, this is not difficult. This is easy. This is God doing His work and us getting to just walk with Him. Let's sing. <laughs>